Hey, welcome back to Real Life. Last week, we celebrated Easter together and the empty tomb and the new life that um, comes to us through the cross, through the empty tomb. And on Easter, um, we focus on Jesus, right? Like it's really all about, uh, it's all about Jesus. But did you know that the gospel writers in the story of, of Jesus, and as we get to the cross and the empty tomb, the gospel writers tucked a story um, into that narrative, into that kind of Jesus cross empty tomb story that is, uh, it's a really important story kind of right along with Easter and with Jesus. Um, and, and I never really noticed it before until I started working on this, uh, this series. And so um, it's just, it's kind of there and we just kind of read it. And um, I, I don't know if you've heard of this idea before. Um, I, I learned about it from a guy who learned about it from a, a guy named Rabbi Foreman. And um, like my dad was a preacher. I grew up in church. I've been a preacher now for a, a long time. And so Rabbi Foreman talks about this thing called the lullaby effect. And he says what happens is, uh, with the Bible, I think it happens with us, we, we've read the stories or we've heard the stories so often that when um, you hear a bit of the story, like the first part of the story, you just kind of tune it out. So you're like, oh, I've heard it before. Yeah, I know, I know the ending. Like, yes, the stones rolled away, Jesus isn't there, they come, they're excited. Like, I've, I've heard it before. And, and so we kind of tune it out. And we, we see this play out, I, I think it's called the lullaby effect, because if, if, if you were to say certain lullaby lines, rockabye baby, and everybody's just like, I know the end of that story. Um, some crazy DJ-esque parent has their child in the top of a tree, and the child falls and dies, and that's the end of the lullaby. Uh, this, is, this is a dark lullaby, I don't think I understand it, like most of our lullabies, I, they must have come in the Middle Ages when nobody cared and, and everybody died. And they're just not good. So you hear a little bit of the story and your brain, like you just tune out, right? It's like I've heard it before. And so I, I think, at least for me, I've read these stories so often, I've heard them so often, I've preached them so often, that sometimes there are things in the story that I, that I miss and I kind of skip over. And, and, but, but this week, as I've been preparing for this, I'm like, there's this really incredible, very parallel story to the story of Jesus that's kind of tucked away in the Jesus death, burial, resurrection story um, that I think is just really cool. And I think it would be interesting. It's interesting enough that we're gonna take the next three weeks to kind of look at it and dissect it a little bit. And so um, what we're gonna see today is that while Jesus is preparing to face his greatest challenge in the cross, so we're kind of going back in time a little bit uh, after, after Easter last week was over, we're gonna go back in time to then kind of catch up. And at the end of this series, we're gonna be then kind of post-resurrection. So Jesus is preparing to face his greatest challenge in the cross. And at that time, the same time, Peter is preparing for his greatest failure in the courtyard. And so Matthew writes these like parallel stories of Jesus and, and Peter. And, and, and my guess is, unless you're super studious and pay attention, 
Um, like me, you've missed that these stories are parallel and how closely these two stories mirror each other. It's, it's really kind of cool. We're going to look at today. Um, and, and so like Jesus knows, right? He knows the future. He knows he's going to the cross. He's been preparing his disciples for this for um, a, a really long time. And so he tries to encourage Peter to help him prepare for uh, what is coming up. And he's like, hey, Peter, there's some things that are gonna happen and you need to be ready for them. And Peter is like, um, yeah, I don't, I, he just kind of refuses to uh, take Jesus' advice or listen to things he, he has to say. And he's gonna kind of go um, his own way. And so while Jesus um, knows what's coming, he prepares for it, he succeeds in overcoming his temptation to lie about who he is as savior, Peter uh, takes an opposite course and he doesn't prepare and he's not ready for what he's going to face and, and he fails in his opportunity to tell the truth. And so it's this tragic, it's this beautiful interconnected story about humanity and why Jesus had to die so that we might live. So we're gonna jump into some, um, some background. Two years into Jesus' ministry, um, Tina, will you go back to the last, last one uh, where we got a little bit ahead? Uh, okay, one more forward. There we go. Yeah, let's stay on that one. Um, two years before, or two years into Jesus' ministry, he's growing his disciples, right? Like at the beginning of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first uh, books or letters in the New Testament, Jesus is um, getting his disciples, his 12 disciples, he begins to preach. He's like putting himself out there as a Jewish rabbi. And so these guys are following him, they're listening to him, they're kind of mirroring his life, they're listening to his teaching. And so he's growing his followers and they're kind of getting more and more and he's doing these miracles and he's doing these things and these people begin to follow Jesus. And two years into Jesus' three and a half year ministry from the time he's baptized to the time he dies, there's this really incredible moment. If you're looking at it in the Gospels, like Mark chapter 8 is a good place to go to kind of see this um, moment. It's this incredible moment where one of his disciples, Peter, gives what's called the good confession. In fact, if you're baptized, we follow the good confession, kind of that line of thinking way back from Peter in the middle of the Gospels. And so there's this moment where Jesus is with his disciples. He's two years into his ministry and, and he asks them while they're all together, who do people say that I am? We, we actually talked about this not very long ago um, in another message series. And so Jesus asked disciples, who do people say that I am? And they start saying all these uh, different people that, that other people they've heard say, this is who we think Jesus is. And so they said, some, some people think you're just a prophet, like the Old Testament prophets. You're just the next prophet in a line of guys who've come to like reveal God's will to us. Some people think you're John the Baptist, which is really weird because John the Baptist were contemporaries. Uh, Jesus and John the Baptist were contemporaries. Uh, John the Baptist died after Jesus began his ministries. I'm like, I don't know how that works exactly. But anyway, some people think you're John the Baptist, come back to life. Um, some people think you're the prophet Elijah from the Old Testament. You're gonna go back to um, Samuel and first and second Kings to, to read about Elijah. And some people think you're just Elijah, uh, kind of come back from the dead. 
And so Jesus said, okay, now we've talked about who other people think I am. Who do you? Who do you, my closest friends, my closest followers, my disciples, who do you say or think that I am? And and Peter has this moment of like clarity. And and just in kind of Peter fashion, he jumps out and he says, you know, it's like I raise his hand. He's like, ooh, 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 I got it. And he says, I I know who you are. You are the Christ. And and read your your text, this was going to say, you are the Christ. And remember, Christ is is not Jesus' last name. Christ is uh, Greek. It's Christos. It means king. Uh, It means Messiah. And so what Peter was saying is, Jesus, you are the promised king of God. You're the anointed one who's supposed to come and kind of make everything right. You're the guy that's been promised for thousands of years of Jewish history from God. You're the guy who's supposed to come. Then this really weird thing happens in the story. Jesus is like, Peter, you're like, congratulations, gold star on the wall. You got it right. And this could not, you couldn't have come up with this on your own. Like God has revealed this to you. It's this really great moment of kind of spiritual clarity for for Peter. And he gets like these pats on the back. And Jesus is like, you're doing awesome, Peter. Good job, keep it up. And he says, now that you know who I am as the Messiah, the promised king, the anointed one of God, um, you need to know what I came to do. And so immediately Jesus starts telling his disciples, I am the king, but I'm gonna die. And so Peter has this moment of great clarity, and then Jesus says, yeah, but I'm going to die. And, and Peter's like, nope. And he grabs Jesus, and he takes him off to the side, and he says, look, you got to stop talking like this. Like, this is not going to happen. You're the king. You're the one who's going to set it all right. You have to live. And this is crazy kind of thing. And so they go back and forth. And over the rest, next year or so, a little more than a year, Jesus is constantly telling his disciples that he's going to go to the cross, that he's going to die. And every time he says this, the disciples kind of get more and more anxious, more and more upset. See, they believed from Jewish history that when God sends the Messiah, the Messiah makes everything right. He sets everything right. He sets up God's kingdom on earth. So he's gonna overthrow the Roman occupation. He's gonna set Israel up as the greatest nation in the world. There's a lot of people, conspiracy stuff, and they talk about um, one world order and one nation in the world, one world government, all that kind of stuff. That's what the Jews believed was gonna happen with Jesus. Jesus was gonna come back, the Messiah was gonna come, he's gonna set up Israel, Israel was gonna be the number one nation in the world, they were gonna conquer everybody else and they were gonna rule. And guess who got to rule with Jesus? His closest friends and disciples. Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and all of those guys were gonna be like Jesus' cabinet in this new kingdom. And they were really excited about that. And when Jesus starts saying, look, I'm gonna die, they're like, no, that can't happen. Not only that can't happen because how can the kingdom survive if the king is dead, but also that can't happen because if you die, what are we supposed to do? We've given up our lives and our livelihoods to follow you because we thought there was gonna be a payoff at the end. And if that's not gonna happen, we've got a problem, Jesus. And so there's this tension there that happens because if the king dies, the kingdom is null and void and, and everything that they thought can't happen. This has been going on for a year. And now it's right before the Passover and the Sabbath for the next week. It's 
Thursday night. It's been a long week as Jesus has been preparing for his eventual crucifixion and death. And Jesus leads his disciples out on Thursday night out to this place called the Mount of Olives. It's a hill on the other side of the Kidron Valley out of Jerusalem, kind of between Jerusalem and this place called Bethany, where Jesus really liked to hang out and stay when he was in the area. So they go out to the Mount of Olives. It's Jesus' disciples minus Judas, right? Because Judas has already taken off. uh, Jesus has already been like, hey, you're going to betray me. And so Judas leaves. So it's just Jesus and his 11 disciples now. And they're making their way out to um, to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus begins to have this conversation with um. The guys, and and Jesus says, look, I want you to know that um, tonight, all of you are are gonna fall away because of me. Because of what's gonna happen to me, all of you are gonna like leave. You're gonna scatter, you're gonna gonna take off. And and Peter, again, in Peter fashion, he kind of um, speaks up and he says, and you can kind of see, like Peter's just one of those guys, right? So he's walking with Jesus and, and, and Peter, James, and John are like Jesus' closest buddies among the 12. And so they're right up close to Jesus as they're walking out at, at midnight, very late, out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus is like, hey, all of you are gonna fall away. And Peter kind of looks back at everybody, he looks at James and John, and, and he looks at the other guys, and he's like, look, Jesus, even if all these other sissies fall away, I I will never follow. I'll never betray you. I'll never, like I'm by your side. We're like peas and carrots. Like, like we're, we're together. This is not like, this is not going to happen. Like Jesus, you're crazy. This is not, this is not going to happen. And and then Jesus responds to Peter. And And it's almost like, it's almost like Jesus is just like, dude, I've been putting up with you for three years. You haven't got it. And and so Jesus just looks at Peter. He's like, look, Peter, I, I know that's what you think but that's not what's gonna happen because before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're gonna deny that you know me three separate times. And, and Peter, again, like Peter does, he, he's not, he doesn't pull back. He's like, oh my goodness, I'm like, no, I hope that doesn't happen. Please help me to make sure that doesn't happen. No, he goes, no, Jesus, you're wrong. And even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And, and then Matthew puts in there that like the other disciples are like, yeah, me too, <laughs> ditto. Uh, they're all kind of joining, they're like, I don't want to be left out, so they're all kind of joining in there. This is really, really kind of weird moment. And, and, it's, and it's here in the story, um, if, you, if you read it, Matthew chapter 26, you read it, Jesus is there, he tells Peter what's going on, Peter's like, no, that can't happen, and, and, then, and then Jesus goes to pray, right? Thursday night, he's gonna go pray before he faces the mob and the cross. And Jesus leaves the disciples, he takes Peter, James, and John, he goes a little farther, and he, and he stops with them, and he's like, okay, you guys just kinda hunker down here, and, and you need to be praying with me. Jesus says, you need to keep watch with me. It's like, what's gonna happen tonight is, is gonna be bad, and I need you with me. And so I want you to pray here and I'm gonna go a little farther and, and I'm gonna pray. And so Jesus does that and, and three times, Jesus goes off and prays and, and he comes back and, he, and, and Peter, James and John, he doesn't find them praying, he finds them sleeping. Um, and the third time that Jesus goes off and, and prays, he comes back and, and that's when um, the, the crowd comes to uh, uh, arrest him, um, Judas, 
and this crowd of people with swords and clubs and torches and all this stuff come out in the middle of the night and guess what happens to the disciples? They run away. <laughs> they are dispersed in the chaos, just like Jesus said it's gonna happen. And then Jesus is hauled off um, before the Jewish religious leaders. He, he's hauled off in an illegal overnight trial and, and it's here where we're gonna pick up the story in Matthew chapter 26. Um, now, Peter was sitting outside the courtyard. So Jesus is taken from the Mount of Olives under guard. He's taken down through the Kidron Valley, back up to Jerusalem and um, uh, into the uh, home of, I think it's a high priest. And so Peter um, kind of, he like runs away and then he kind of sneaks back in to what's happening. So Peter's now sitting outside the courtyard. Jesus is being questioned and, and beaten. And a servant girl comes up to him and says, uh, you also were uh, with Jesus the Galilean. And, and it doesn't read this way in your text, but this is kind of a question. Like she comes and she's like, she's looking at him a little bit. She's like, ah, I think I know you. I, I think you were with Jesus um, the Galilean. Uh, but Peter denies it before all the people there, which means he's, he's being loud. And he says, I don't know what you mean. And if you're a parent, you've heard this before. Because you've, you've come home and something is broken and, and you say, how, like, you get the kids, you're like, how did this, this break? Right? You guys have been there, right? Like, how did this break? And the, and the kid goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't, what's broken? I don't see anything. And the lamp, you know, and the couch is overturned and everything's busted. I'm like, I don't know uh, what happened. Um, that's what Jesus is saying. Like, I don't know what you're, what you're talking about. Jesus I, I don't even know, I don't even know that. Like, even though every single person in the courtyard that night was there because of what was happening to Jesus. And everybody knew. And Jesus was like, I, I don't know what you mean. And so um, went out uh, to the entrance. He's still in the same area, but he's closer to the door now. He's like getting worried. So he moves closer to the door, like at a party when you need to leave. Uh, and then another servant girl sees him and she comes and she says to the bystanders around him, she says, this man was with Jesus of, of Nazareth. It's not so much a question, it's a statement. It's like, I saw this guy. And again, he denies it this time with an oath. He says, I do not know the man. Okay, next one. After a little while, then the bystanders, so the group has gotten bigger, they come up and they say to Peter, certainly you two are one of them for your accent betrays you. Keep that in mind. And then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. Interesting that he says the man and he never calls Jesus by name. He thinks that's going to separate him enough. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Matthew says, Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, which was just a few hours maybe before this. And Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Jesus went out and wept bitterly. Now, Jesus has been arrested. He's been hauled into custody by this group that was supposed to be the representatives of God before not just Israel, but all of the world. Like these religious leaders, they were supposed to be God's guys on earth. And, and so... Um, Peter's head in this moment, like it's just spinning. Like there's a ton of stuff that has happened and Jesus, Peter's just trying to work it out. Like what, what is going on? This is not supposed to happen. I, I had this planned out. I told Jesus how it was supposed to go and it, and it has gotten sideways like really, really 
quickly. And so he's trying to figure out all this stuff that is happening with Jesus and the religious leaders and all the stuff that Jesus has said and all the stuff about him dying and what just happened out in the, um, out of the, the uh, Mount of Olives. And, and, and then Peter's like, oh, oh man, I'm here in the courtyard of the high priest whose servant's ear I just cut off. And then he starts to kind of panic a little bit. He's, he's getting a, a little crazy. Like, like the high priest sent his A number one um, servant, the guy in charge of all his stuff, out to the Mount of Olives to, to get Jesus. And Peter cut his ear. This is, like, this is like cutting off the ear of the cardinal who's best friends with the Pope. This is big, this is big time. This is like, you don't come back from this. This is serious stuff. And so Peter's in the courtyard and he's getting nervous. He's getting worried about what is um, going on. And it's after midnight, Peter is standing in this dark courtyard, the courtyard of the very priest whose um, who's servant he just cut the ear off of. And a, and a young girl comes over to, uh, over to him. Now you gotta understand um, we know the name of the high priest's servant. His name was Malchus. Uh, that's the name of the guy who's got his ear cut off. And then Jesus actually heals it. He puts his ear um, back on. And so um, Malchus in the high priest's household is like up here. Uh, this servant girl who, who comes, um, she, she is down here somewhere. Like the high priest maybe has never even seen her before and certainly doesn't know her name. That's how important she is in the high priest's household in relation to uh, Malchus and the others. Um, and, and so she questions, this, this, nobody, this nobody young servant girl, she questions Peter about being with Jesus and Peter then responds like, he's like, I don't know wh what you're talking about. You've never heard of this guy, Jesus who is kind of how uh, he responds. And then, um, so he moves away from that group of, of people. He moves a little closer to the entrance so he can make his escape. And then another young girl comes and, and she doesn't question Peter. She directly accuses Peter. She's like, hey, I saw you with him out in the, in the olive grove. And, and so now Peter is, now he's objecting a little more Strongly, and he's like, "Hand to God, I do not know the man." Like I'm, like it's an oath. I have never seen him, never heard him. I don't know who you're um, talking about. And, and again, he's like, "The name, I don't even know um, his name." And then after a while, this um, group of people come over, and and this time it's like almost a mob. Like they're getting all excited, they're getting all worked up, and and they come to him, and and they're like. Peter, you're guilty by association. He says, you, they're like, you're one of them Jesus followers because you talk like a hillbilly. Now that's a translation of what you read in the scripture, but that's pretty close. Um, because if, if you understand uh, the Jews down here in Jerusalem, they thought they were all that. But Peter is from a group of Jews who lived up near the Sea of Galilee. They're called Galileans. They talk about it in the text. And, and they, just, they just talk different. Like Galilee and that region um, to the west of the Sea of Galilee, it's like the Arkansas of Israel. 
And so they're just like, the, the group just comes and they're like, we think you're a Jesus follower because you talk like a, a hillbilly. Uh, this is not, like, this is not good. You must be one of those crazy, you must wanna be one of those people who clings to their guns and Bibles like them crazy people. That's, that's what they're saying. And, and then this time, Peter is like, I swear to, like, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Would God strike me dead right now if I'm lying to you? I do not know the, the man that you're talking about. And it's right here. You can just, like, like Peter is defending himself. He's loud. He's had enough. This is the third time they've come to him. And he's, like, screaming out this curse. He's yelling. And in the middle of his yell, he he hears that stupid rooster that starts to crow and, and, and just like you could be, like his, just the wheels begin to turn, right? And it's, and it's almost like in the story that Peter is shocked back to reality by the increasing sound of, of, this, of this rooster. And he remembers the prophecy. But Matthew says, Peter remembered <laughs> what Jesus, so I'm like, how could he forget it? It was just a few hours ago, but, but he's caught up in the moment. He's excited, and now he's shocked back to reality. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times, and so Peter, he's close to the entrance. He just runs away from everyone, and the text says he weeps bitterly somewhere off by himself. Now, I think Matthew includes this stuff uh, about Peter, because he's giving us readers an opportunity to see our need for a savior in Peter's situation. So, so what we're getting in the story of Peter is like, um, it, it's like, look, there, there's this stuff going on with Jesus and we understand Jesus is gonna have to die because of our sin and, and because of our betrayal of him and we haven't followed him and we've rejected him and Jesus is going to the cross. And so you understand this picture of what Jesus is doing. I'm gonna give you this real time story of Peter that is, that is like, this is why we need this. Peter, what's going on with Peter is why Jesus is going to the cross. And so but Matthew gives us these parallel stories between Jesus and, and Peter. And I want you to look at the similarities uh, as, as Jesus and Peter kind of go back in the text a little bit. Jesus and Peter are heading into, um, they're heading into uh, uh, the garden. Jesus knows that tonight, tonight he is going to um, be tempted to deny the truth of who he is as the savior, right? So as, as Jesus goes before the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, he goes before Pilate, he then goes before Herod. As he goes before those three, um, he knows that he's going to be tempted to deny who he is as the son of God, as the Messiah. That's, that's Jesus' temptation. Peter now knows, because Jesus told him on their way to the Mount of Olives, Peter knows that tonight he's going to be tempted to deny the truth of who he is as a follower of Jesus. And then we just saw that in the story. He's like, I don't even know the guy. I don't follow him. I don't even know him. And so this parallel stories of Jesus and Peter. And because of this knowledge of, of what is going to happen, the betrayal and, and everything, um, there's some other things uh, that happen. 
Jesus goes and he prays three times in, in the garden, uh, in the Mount of Olives. He prays three times for strength to do God's will. Um, Peter falls asleep three times because he lacks the will to pray. This is parallels here. Jesus is questioned three times before the Sanhedrin, before Pilate, before um, Herod. Um, Pilate is a leading Roman official, and Herod is kind of the Jewish puppet king um, for Rome. And so Jesus is questioned three times by these high up officials in um, the Roman and the Jewish government. Peter is questioned three times as well by two no-name servant girls that don't really matter, and then by this kind of just mob that um, comes up. Jesus prays three times like this. Uh, he says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Like, I want to do what you want to be done. And Jesus expresses trust in God, even though it means his own death. Peter, on the other hand, denies three times, in a sense saying, not your will, God, but mine be done. Um, like Peter doesn't trust the story that God is writing, and so he tries to save his own life. Now, I, I don't want to make connections that aren't really there, but I want you to think about this. Uh, Jesus probably, and, and please understand the text, um, the text doesn't say this directly. I think we can infer it. Jesus probably wept when he was away from the others praying in the garden that night. I mean, the text tells us, Matthew tells us, that, that he was so upset that, that the sweat from his body, his face, were like great drops of blood. Like the capillaries are, um, are, are exploding in his face and he's bleeding. Uh, my guess is that Jesus probably shed a few tears in, in that moment as he was praying those times. And so Jesus weeps um, before he is tempted and, and tried by these people. Peter weeps away from others, but he weeps after he denies Jesus. Uh, Jesus prays for strength. He prays before he faces the trouble, and he prays for the strength not to give in to them temptation. But, but Peter prays for strength after he has faced the temptation and then given into that temptation. Jesus says, um, I came to bear witness to the truth. And so for Jesus to deny who he was, even though it meant his death, would have been a lie. And so Jesus refuses to do it. Uh, Peter, very boldly on his way out to the Mount of Olives, said that he would die with Jesus. Even if I have to die with you, I won't deny you. But then he quickly denies the truth just to save his own skin. The, the temptation that night was for Jesus to deny the truth of who he is as the Savior. But the temptation for Peter was to deny the truth of who he was as a follower. Now, now here's where this story ties into you and I, because you and I are probably never going to be tempted to deny that Jesus is the Savior. There's a good chance that nobody ever will hold a gun to our head or a knife to our throat and say, deny that Jesus is the Savior. And we all kind of feel like in that moment, we would be strong and we would say, no, like I believe in Jesus and my faith is in um, Jesus. So we probably won't ever thankfully be in that position, but we will be tempted to deny that we're followers. Probably we've been tempted already in our lives and it will probably happen again. And I think Matthew intended to put these two stories side by side 
so that we could have this picture of why Jesus needed to die in the first place. Because Peter did what you and I do. He protected himself at the risk of others while Jesus sacrificed himself for the sake of others. Peter shows us that when you live only for yourself, you worry only about yourself. And that's a problem we have in our lives. And then the world says, do what feels good, do what you like. If it doesn't hurt anybody, do it, and it's okay. And you just, like, like here's how we say it, you do you. And, and what we're kind of saying is, look, you just be whoever you want to be. You do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks or what anybody else says. Peter didn't care what happened to anybody else. He, he was just looking at for himself. Even his best friend, Jesus, that night, like he didn't care. Peter was in self-preservation mode and friendship and honor and even faith meant very little to him in that moment. But you contrast that with Jesus. Jesus that night did exactly what he had done uh, up throughout his life and, and ministry. He expressed the two highest ethics in the kingdom of God. Well, again, what he had done from the very beginning, he continued to do even in his death. He loved God and he loved God by trusting the story even when he didn't like the direction. But Jesus praying in the garden, he's like, look, God, I, th if there is any other way you can accomplish these things, please do it. But I'm gonna trust the story. And so even if it leads to the cross, I'm gonna trust that you have my best interest. You know what's going on. I'm gonna trust the story that God was writing for him. He loved others, secondly, at the risk of his own life. And so Jesus loved God and he loved others. Jesus shows us that when you live for others, you give of yourself. Now, there's a big difference here in those two things. And so Matthew shows us these um, two stories, a story of faith and trust and self-sacrifice in Jesus and a story of fear and skepticism and self-preservation in Peter. And, and, and then the parallel stories between Peter and Jesus, they kind of odd, or they kind of end in this odd place. Um, like Jesus is still being tried. Peter is in the court, courtyard. Um, the rooster crows and then Peter remembers what Jesus had prophesied. He, he runs out, he weeps alone. And then, the, then hit, like that's the end. That's about all we hear from Peter. Then the story, Matthew really focuses on Jesus from that time on. But I wanna ask you this question if you've been paying attention. Um, how did people wake up before alarm clocks? There's really only two ways, right? Yeah, the sun wakes you up. Right? Nobody likes that when the sun comes through the window. Ah, we're not ready. Um, the, I know. The other way is a rooster. So mom and dad, rooster, maybe, at your house, I think. Get these guys up uh, in the morning. Rooster, can you imagine being Peter in your life? And every morning for the rest of your life, you are reminded of your betrayal and failure. Every morning for the rest of your life, when you hear that stinking rooster start to crow, you are taken right back to that courtyard 
where you denied who you thought your best friend. Now at that point, Peter didn't believe he was the Messiah. That, that was out the door at that point. Peter believed he was a prophet, but he still had a very deep relationship with, he still loved him, he was still his brother. There's still this connection, this betrayal, even though he didn't think he was God's son. And, and so that's really, like, that's how it goes in our lives. Like, our failures love to remind us that we're failures, right? The times that we've blown it, those failures, they just love to creep, and they'll find any way that they can to creep back into the story, even if it's just a sound that reminds you of your failure. Peter ran out and wept because he had remorse for his betrayal of his friend, Jesus. Peter felt sad for what he had done, but, but I want you to know, at least in the short term, Peter's story doesn't change. Like that remorse that he feels for betraying Jesus, he runs out and, and weeps, and, and guess what? Uh, that's what Judas is going to do in just a moment. The truth is that we often resemble Peter in our lives. We feel remorse for our failures. We feel sad because we got caught. But remorse alone doesn't bring us to redemption. And I think this is why Matthew includes these parallel stories in his gospel. So that we can see ourselves in Peter and then more clearly see Jesus. And Jesus' um, closest friend, the guy who believed in him the most, remember it was Peter who said for the first time, it's the first time in recorded history where somebody says, Jesus, I think you're the guy. I think you are the son of God, the promised Messiah. And that was Peter. And now Peter has denied and he has run away, leaving Jesus feeling utterly alone at the most critical moment of his life as he faces a terrible death on the cross. And yet this moment is why Jesus prayed in the garden. It's why he prayed for the strength to trust God's story, even when all his friends had turned their backs. And, and, and now, um, like Peter who betrayed Jesus the night before Jesus died, you and I have to sit with this uncomfortable story for a few days. But when we come back next Sunday, we're gonna pick things um, back up in this story uh, in Matthew, because we're gonna learn um, some things. In fact, if we've learned anything from Easter, it's that not even death can stop God's story on our road to redemption. So we're gonna be like Peter, we're gonna leave here thinking about our failures, but it's not the end of the story. And I think it's why Matthew adds it here right before the death and resurrection of Jesus. So come back next week. And we're gonna talk about what happens when remorse turns into repentance. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us and for all that you give to us. Thank you for um, including this story of Peter's, like, like, like we, sometimes we think, man, that's great. Like, how could he do that? And yet the reality is that I've done that. I've betrayed you to others. We, we all have been. 
in that situation, God. And, and guess what? We're gonna be there again. It's our human nature to pray for forgiveness after we have failed. But the example of your son Jesus is that we pray for strength before we ever get to that point. And so help us to take a page from Jesus, to pray for the strength to stand up to the trials and the things that we're gonna face in life before we get there so that we don't have to weep on the other end. As we spend a little time weeping now, it's gonna save us a lot of tears later. And so God, help us to sit this week with this uncomfortable moment and with our failure and with our struggle and the times that we have denied, but don't let that lead to hopelessness because what's gonna happen is the story is gonna take a dramatic turn and we're gonna really begin to see why Jesus died in the first place. So thanks for loving us. Help us to follow you this week. Help us to be strong for you this week. In Jesus' name.